Amateur Radio Newsline report number 2342 with a release date of Friday, September 16th, 2022 to follow in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. The following is a QST. Some U.S. satellites may face stricter disposal rules soon. Researchers work to make smaller antennas with bigger performance, and German regulators look to add a new class of amateur license. All this and more as Amateur Radio Newsline report number 2342 comes your way right now. From around the world, this is Newsline, Amateur Radio's independent weekly amateur radio news and bulletin service. Now reporting from Picayune, Mississippi, here is Don Wilbanks, AE5DW. The U.S. Federal Communications Commission wants to put domestic satellites on notice, at least some of them, regarding their eviction from space once the satellites no longer function. Kent Peterson, KC0DGY, explains. In an effort to clean up space junk in low Earth orbit, the FCC hopes to act this month in setting a deadline that would require dead non-geostationary satellites to be removed from space within five years. The proposal shortens the period established by NASA guidelines, setting a 25-year period, which is voluntary for such satellite disposal. The new regulation, if approved, would not apply to any domestic satellites already in orbit. It would also give some breathing room to organizations whose satellite launches have already been approved so those groups can have a disposal plan in place before the launch date. The FCC is proposing a two-year grandfathering period that would begin on September 29th, the day the FCC has scheduled its vote. In response to NASA's concern about the potential impact on CubeSats, the FCC said it intended to grant waivers on a case-by-case basis. FCC Chairwoman Jessica Rosenworcel said in a post on Twitter, quote, Our space economy is moving fast. For it to continue to grow, we need to do more to clean up after ourselves so space innovation can continue to expand, end quote. This is Kent Peterson, KC0DGY. Just how small can a small antenna be? Researchers in the U.S. are studying that challenge now, hoping to accomplish an antenna that offers economy in space without compromising performance. Neil Rapp, WB9VPG, gives us the details. A United States agency has begun tackling a long-standing challenge that comes with the use of electrically small antennas. While these antennas are space-saving assets that are noticeably shorter than the wavelengths of the signals they handle, the antennas themselves have significant limitations. As they get smaller, they lose bandwidth and radiation efficiency. These antennas have been in use for many decades and can be found, for instance, on satellites. Researchers with the U.S. Intelligence Advanced Research Project Activity Agency have begun a four-year project to surpass these kinds of limitations. The initiative is called the Effective Quantitative Antenna Limits for Performance Program. Program Manager Paul Cobb told the IEEE Spectrum magazine that within three years, the teams must show that they have an actual antenna with a 6 dB gain in performance over existing electrically small antennas. The ultimate goal is to establish a 10 decibel gain in antenna performance in the HF and UHF bands. Kolb told the Spectrum that in the last year of the project, researchers will be required to produce an antenna with the sought-after 10 dB gain. The teams are being required to validate all results with independent labs. Kolb said such antennas aren't likely to become viable for the commercial market. This is Neil Rapp, WB9VPG. While much of the United States marked Sunday, September 11th in solemn public ceremonies remembering the terror 
terror attacks of 2001. The New England Emergency Communications Network dedicated a new digital repeater site in memory of six broadcast engineers who died that day in New York City. Jim Dameron, NATMW, has that story. The New England Emergency Communications Network, which links 90 amateur radio service repeaters in the northeastern United States, brought a new digital repeater on the air on Sunday, September 11th. The date is not insignificant. As he put the two-meter repeater into full-time operation on the air, Andrew N1MYY read a statement acknowledging the anniversary of the terror attacks. A broadcast engineer himself, Andrew dedicated the repeater to the six broadcast engineers who died that day when the World Trade Center was destroyed. They were Donald DeFranco of WABC-TV, Bob Pattison and Isaias Rivera, both of WCBS, and three hams who became silent keys that day, Stephen Jacobson, N2SJ of WPIX-TV, William Steckman, WA2ACW of WNBC, and Rod Coppola, KA2KET of WNET-TV. The repeater's full-time operation now adds to the network's strength for public service and emergency preparedness in the region. This is Jim Dameron, N8TMW. In Great Britain, Jubilee activities have been halted on the air during the somber time following the death of Queen Elizabeth II. Jeremy Boot, G4NJH, is here with that report. The Radio Society of Great Britain has halted its Jubilee activities as a mark of respect for the Queen following her death. The Society has updated its website to reflect this and has cancelled its Innovation 70 Award for Creative and Innovative Design. Meanwhile, amateurs who collected QSOs for the Jubilee Award 70 during the month of June may still apply for the award before the 31st of October. See the RSGB website for details at rsgb.org. This is Jeremy Boots, G4NJH. An increasing number of hams are getting access to 60 meters, including the latest group of nations in southern Africa. Jason Daniels, VK2LAW, brings us that report. Hams in various parts of southern Africa have gained access to the 60-meter band recently. The South African Radio League reports that South Africa is permitted the range of frequencies from 5.350.0 to 5.450.0 MHz on a non-interference basis at a maximum output power of 100 watts EIRP and 5.290 MHz for WSPR beacons. Namibia, Eswatini, Mozambique and Zimbabwe have been given the WRC15 allocation from 5.351.5 to 5.366.5 MHz with 15 watts EIRP. Kenya has 5.275 MHz to 5.450 MHz on a secondary basis with 400 watts. The league wrote on its Facebook page that it's still awaiting official confirmation from Botswana, Lesotho, Angola, Zambia, Malawi and Tanzania. This is Jason Daniels, VK2LAW. There may be big changes ahead in Germany later this year for people hoping to get an entry-level amateur license. We learn more from Jeremy Boot, G4NJH. Germany is hoping to make it easier for people to get involved in amateur radio by adding a third class of license at the entry level with low power and restricted operations. 
Germany's Federal Ministry for Digital Affairs and Transport said in a press release that the proposed N-Class licence would have a greatly simplified test, concentrating on regulations, operations and basic technology. Germany's other two classes are the A, or full class, and the E, which is novice or intermediate class. A report on the ICQ podcast noted that N-Class licensees will have access to 2 metres and 70 centimetres using no more than 10 watts EIRP. Ronnie Yerke, DG2RON, said in the report that the beginner class is designed to comply with international requirements. N-Class holders will also be permitted to use hotspots and other radio devices they have built themselves. According to the Federal Ministry, the new regulation could be in place as early as November this year. This is Jeremy Bucci for NJH. Time for you to identify your station. We are the Amateur Radio Newsline, heard on bulletin stations around the world, including the Elmore County Amateur Radio Club's K7ECI repeater in Mountain Home, Idaho, on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. local time. Radio Amateurs of Canada is hoping to push for some changes that affect license holders' call signs, and the group is asking for input. We hear the details from Andy Morrison, K9AWM. Radio amateurs who hold a Canadian certificate and have a Canadian call sign are being asked to complete a survey for Radio Amateurs of Canada, which wants to advocate for changes in policies regarding Canadian call signs. The results of the survey will be used by the RAC to come up with proposals to show Innovation, Science, and Economic Development Canada the governmental regulator. According to the RAC website, hams are being asked to weigh in on questions about special event call sign authorizations, two-letter suffixed call signs, the handling of call signs for silent keys, and various special prefix authorizations. The survey will also explore whether it should be mandatory for hams to change their call signs if they relocate to another region in Canada. Hams are also being asked whether call signs with one suffix letter should be used as permanent personal call signs. This is just a sampling of the issues included in the survey, which opened on the 5th of August and will remain accessible to hams until the 30th of September. Though the questions are thorough, they take no more than 10 or 15 minutes to complete. The survey was created by Dave Goodwin, VE3KG, the RAC's Regulatory Affairs Officer. Amateurs holding Canadian call signs wishing to take part in the survey can do so by using the link in the text version of this week's newscast at arnewsline.org. This is Andy Morrison, K9AWM. School is only back in session barely a week for many youngsters in the United States, but one group of teenagers already has some serious homework to do. Dave Parks, WB8ODF, tells us about their assignment. It's official. Cave City High School in Arkansas has its own radio club at last. The club recently received its charter from the American Radio Relay League, along with an $8,000 grant from the ARRL's Grant Foundation. Those funds will be used to purchase and install radio equipment, including a local repeater. Science teacher Lynn Williams, N5TLW, told The Guard Online that the club received lots of support from the Batesville Area Radio Club, whose members helped the high school club's president, Ithaca Bacon, 
KI5QOS, get things in motion. The students are hoping their station and repeater will be on the air within the next few months. In the meantime, the school club is going to host a number of informational meetings for community members who want to learn more. The achievement is bittersweet for many involved in the setting up of the new club. The president of the Batesville area amateurs, Steve Shelton, AE5RU, became a silent key on the 27th of August. Lynn, who's a member of the Batesville Club, said on the Batesville Club's Facebook page that the success of the students' efforts to form the Cave City High School Amateur Radio Club comes in large part due to Steve's dedication to the effort. He wrote, quote, The current and future students in the club will benefit from his influence. End quote. For Amateur Radio Newsline, I'm Dave Parks, WB8ODF. Candidates for the top-level amateur license in China have a few more weeks to wait to take their exam, which has been postponed. Jim Meachin, ZL2BHF, has that story. Amateurs in China will soon sit for a technical proficiency assessment being given for those seeking the highest class of the nation's amateur radio license, the C-Class. C-Class hams are permitted up to 1 kilowatt of power on bands below 30 megahertz and 25 watts above 30 megahertz. The exam will be held in Beijing on November 5th and will be overseen by the Beijing Radio Association. The announcement came from the Chinese Radio Amateurs Club, the National Ham Radio Association, which said that the assessment had originally been scheduled for October 22nd but had to be rescheduled. This is Jim Meachin, ZL2BHF. It won't be long now before 1,500 pounds or 680 kilograms of equipment for the T-88WAD expedition arrives at its final destination, the Republic of Palau in the Western Pacific Ocean. The ship set sail on the 7th of September. The operators, members of the Western Washington DX Club, are to leave the United States at the end of October. Justin, K5EM, Jack, N7JP, Rob, N7QT, Brian, N9ADG, and Robin, WA7CPA, the only YL in the group. The expedition will take place inside an operating bungalow between November 2nd and 14th using three stations and six antennas. One hex beam will be pointed towards Europe and another towards North America. The group writes on their page on QRZ.com that they're hoping to make the first activation of 60 meters from Palau and be lucky enough to give EU contacts on the low bands. In the world of DX, be listening for Stefan, VK3SN, on the air from Christmas Island for a week beginning the 24th of September. He's a member of the Christmas Island Amateur Radio Club and will use the club's call sign VK9XX. Be listening during the afternoons and evenings local time when he'll be using SSB and FT8 on the HF bands. For details, visit the club website at ciarc.org.au. Be listening for Pablo, LU7MT, operating as 5K0C. Daniel, LU9FHF, operating as 5J0DX. Jose Luis, LU1FM, operating as 5K0T. And Alejandro, LU8YD, operating as 5K0YD from San Andres Island, IOTA number NA033, from September 16th through the 25th. Listen on the HF bands as well as 6 meters. The hams will also make use of various satellites. They'll be using CW, SSB, and FT8, FT4. For QSL information, check the QRZ.com pages for the individual calls. Listen for Kevin, 2E0, KKV, 
Peter, G4UIX, Stuart, M0SGV, and Ray, M0XDL, using the call sign GB0IOW from the Isle of Wight through the 23rd of September. This is a trip by the South Dorset Radio Society. Listen on the HF bands where operators will be using SSB and various digital modes, especially FT8. QSL via EQSL or Logbook of the World. For direct QSL, send to M0XDL. Special Event Stations 7Z92ND, 8Z92ND, and HZ92ND are now active until September 25th in Saudi Arabia to mark the 92nd anniversary of the Unification Day for the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, or Saudi National Day. Free electronic awards are available at the level of gold, silver, and bronze for hams who request them by email. QSL all call signs via HZ1SAR, the Saudi Amateur Radio Society. In Northern Ireland, Pastor Brian Madden, GI0RWO, will be using the special call sign GB0KC to celebrate the new King Charles III, as well as remembering the passing and the exemplary service of Queen Elizabeth II. There were no details about modes, but the DX clusters have shown him on 20 and 40 meters SSB. QSL via email. Send details of your QSO to him at PastorBrianMadden at me.com. And for our final story, we ask, what does a Japanese-style pagoda that became a historic landmark for a Pennsylvania community have to do with a radio club's centennial anniversary? Amateur Radio Newsline's Mark Abramovich, NT3V, takes us on a journey for the answer. To residents of the town of Reading, Pennsylvania, the pagoda here atop Mount Penn has been part of the skyline since the early 1900s. It has become the most recognizable tourist attraction and symbol for Reading for more than 100 years. Local historians say it was built to cover up a developer's gravel quarry damage to the mountain overlooking the city. The seven-story structure modeled after an actual Japanese pagoda was supposed to become a luxury hotel. But the history books say its owner failed to get Pennsylvania's permission to serve alcoholic beverages there. The owner claimed his pagoda never realized its full potential, and he went bankrupt. By 1911, the city officials bought the pagoda for a dollar and opened it to the public as a local attraction. More than 60 years later, it was listed on the National Register of Historic Places. The pagoda became a natural symbol for the emblem adopted by the Reading Radio Club, which is marking its 100th anniversary this year. On Saturday, September 24th, the club will be on the air from the Pagoda as a special event station using the club call sign W3BN. Three other HF stations using W3BN also will be on the air from the Reading area for 12 hours to give amateurs an opportunity to join the party and earn a keepsake color certificate featuring a photo of Reading's historic Pagoda. You'll find more on the Reading Radio Club's Facebook page or on QRZ Dot com search W3BN. I'm Mark Abramovich, NT3V, in Reading, Pennsylvania. Well, thanks to the AWRL, CQ Magazine, the CRAC, David Behar, K7DB, Engadget, Federal Ministry for Digital Affairs and Transport, Guardian Online, ICQ Podcast, IEEE Spectrum, Ohio Pen DX, QRZ.com, Radio Amateurs of Canada, Reading Radio Club, 
South African Radio League, Southgate Amateur Radio News, shortwaveradio.de, and you, our listeners. That's all from the Amateur Radio Newsline. We remind our listeners that Amateur Radio Newsline is an all-volunteer, non-profit organization that incurs expenses for its continued operation. If you wish to support us, please visit our website at arnewsline.org and know that we appreciate you all. We also remind our listeners that if you like our newscast, please leave us a five-star rating wherever you subscribe to us. For now, with Karen Eve Murray, KD2GUT at the News Desk in New York, and our news team worldwide, I'm Don Wilbanks, AE5DW in Picayune, Mississippi, saying 7-3. And as always, we thank you for listening. Amateur Radio Newsline is copyright 2022. All rights are reserved.